you would remain standing at this time and actually open up with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24. Matthew 6, verse 24. This passage comes from one of Jesus' most famous sermons. Matthew 6, verse 24. It'll also be on the screen behind me. And this is what it says. It says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we drink, or what shall we wear, or what shall we uh, eat? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Amen. You may be seated at this time. So I'm going to welcome you here to White Oak today. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is James. I'm one of the lead, uh, one of the pastors at this church, the associate pastor here, and I'm very excited to be continuing on a series that we're doing through the book of Matthew uh, that we're calling "Our King and His Kingdom." And basically, we're going through the book of Matthew, talking about Jesus' life. We started with his birth, and now we're going through his life, and we'll go through his death and his resurrection. And what we see in the book of Matthew is sort of this theme of the fact that Jesus is bringing in his kingdom. There's a theme in the book of Matthew where Jesus is the king. And part of what Matthew is about is what does it look like for us to live in that kingdom? Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 puts it this way. He says, God is reconciling the world to himself. So when we look out at the world, we see that there's a lot of destruction and a lot of corruption and a lot of baggage and a lot of bad things happening out there. And they've been going out there happening for a very long time. But that there's also this undercurrent underneath all the world events, especially over the past 2,000 years, there's been this undercurrent of the kingdom of God coming into the world. And part of what it looks like for us to be Christians is to figure out what does it look like to live under the kingdom of God. The problem is that while maybe we've been reconciled to God, if you've believed in Jesus Christ and you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, you've, been, you've entered into the kingdom of God, you've been reconciled to God. But the problem is that often our emotions and our attitudes and our fears and worries and doubts are not yet reconciled to God. 
right? So we've been reconciled, but a lot of times we have these emotions and we have different things in our life that we've not yet surrendered to Him. They haven't been reconciled to God. They're a step behind reality. Most of the struggle in the Christian life is to try to convince our emotions of what is already true for us in Jesus. So the tension today is that we've been brought into the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus, and yet we still experience worry and doubt. There was a poll done in April of last year that polled Americans, and it asked them this question, what is your biggest fear? What are some of the biggest concerns that you have living in America? And these were some of the top responses. And see if maybe you fit in some of these responses. Number one was a corrupt government, right? So like basically we're afraid of the people in Washington that we elect not looking out for our concerns. This is a huge worry and a huge fear that people have in this country. Some of the other bigger global type issues were fear of terrorist attacks, Some people, a lot of us fear of having access to and having affordable health care, right? That's a concern. This is a worry that we have. But there were some other worries in this poll that I'm sure hit a little closer to home. There was the worry of not having enough money for the future or losing a loved one or worrying about raising your kids and and how they're going to turn out. A professor at the school that did the study commented on the poll, and he said that people often fear what they cannot control. And it feels like, if we're honest, there's a lot of things in this life that we can't really control, right? Like we're fortunate to live in a country where we get to elect our leaders, but a lot of times it feels like they go off and they just sort of do their own thing. We have very little control in this life. Even think about just driving your car. I was thinking about this the other day. Have you ever driven on Highway 290 on a Friday night? You have given up a lot of control over your life. We have very little control in this life. And some of us respond to that lack of control with sort of a daily anxiety. Like we ask these sort of questions like, man, my job is really successful. How how do I, it's really stressful. How do I be successful in my job? We're worried about school. If we're in school, for some of us younger people, we're in school and we're worried about grades and about studying. Like I said, a lot of us worry about our kids. If you have kids, I'm sure you worry about how to pay for them. I've heard that raising a kid is really, really expensive, Right? And then you hope that they turn out okay or turn out the way that you want them to. And for a lot of us, we experience this daily anxiety in life and it can be very paralyzing. Right? As you go about your day, you still have to raise your kids and you still have to go to work or you still have to go to school. But you have this added baggage that is called anxiety that makes it difficult for you to just go about and do your day-to-day chores. And to make matters worse, worry can also cause a strain on your relationship with God, right? Have you ever noticed how worry and anxiety cause to put kind of like a, a wedge between you and God as you doubt his promises and it seems like the peace that Jesus promises you ends up eluding you? Now some of you have a lot more confidence than people like me. And you're not as prone to be paralyzed by the worry that's in this life. 
But I'm going to throw out just kind of a theory out there that if you're not someone who's like paralyzed by worry all the time, that you still experience worry. You just deal with it in your own way. So for the very confident among us, the uncertainty of the future causes you not to be paralyzed, but it causes you to work much harder, right? You work longer hours at work. You try to stockpile more money into your savings account. You try to do everything possible to maintain as much control over your life and to put as much distance between you and the things that you fear. Work or worry and anxiety are universal. And in what seems like a cruel paradox, the more we advance as a society and the more we advance technologically and as a people, it seems like the more worry and anxiety we feel. We still worry about our future, even in the age of smartphones. But today, if you feel anxiety and and if you feel maybe overworked by trying to put distance between you and the things that you fear, I, I invite you to come join us as we look to see what is God's perspective on worry. I've entitled today's message, Worry is Outdated. I wholeheartedly believe that worry is outdated. It is an outdated concept. Worry belongs in museums and in textbooks. I'm going to try to spend the rest of my time today trying to convince you that worry has no place in your life. But first, a a quick story. And this is going to be one of those stories, one of the few stories you're going to hear from up here that does not call Amazon God's gift to mankind. We talk about Amazon a lot up here. It's a wonderful invention. But today, I was failed by Amazon. So I'm going to share this story. Uh, So I've been using a a MacBook for a while. I really enjoy it. Do we have any Apple fanboys in here? We've got a couple. Actually, not that many. Okay, that's fine. But I've been using my Mac for a while. It's been really uh, reliable to me. But the other day, I think it wasn't this past week, the one before, the, the power cord went out on my Mac. You need a power cord, right, to charge your computer. So I go, what any, any of us would do, I went to Faithful Amazon and I typed in my uh, MacBook and I typed in charger. And the first one that came up was $80. For a wire. It, it, it's, it's like it's a wire. It's a piece of wire. It's a cord that was $80. So I saw that and I was like, man, I said bump that. So I tried a different strategy. I, I went to many of you, my faithful friends on Facebook, and I put a post out there, you know, just kind of the, throwing the hook in the water. I said, hey, does anyone have a power charger for my Mac that you'd be willing to give or to, uh, you know, sell to me? And I wait two days and I got a share from my sister. Um, I got a share, but no responses. So a couple of days pass, right? A couple of days pass, and I'm getting a little desperate because my computer's down to 15%. I've still been using it this whole time, right? So I'm down to 15%, and I, I thought maybe I'll get a little creative. So I go to the Oak Forest Buy and Sell page. You guys heard of this before, right? It's a Facebook page where basically you can post stuff in the neighborhood and say, hey, I'm selling this, Uh, I'm I'm selling this, you can buy it. But you can also post stuff that's sort of, I'm looking for this, right? And so I post something up there. I say, hey, I'm looking for this cord. Uh, Can anyone please, would, would you be willing to sell or to give me this cord? So a very nice lady uh, commented on my thing and said, hey, I'd be willing to meet you. I tried to do the porch pickup, you know, the PPU, but she didn't want to do that, didn't feel comfortable doing that. So we had to go to Starbucks and I get there and she brings this box of like eight cords. She's got eight cords in this old box, you know, she's had them for a while. And I'm I'm very excited. I'm like, surely one of these is going to fit, right? 
So I started trying them, and none of them fit my computer. Like, all of them were older cords. I guess she had an older uh, MacBook than I had, but none of them actually fit. So I, I thanked her, I offered to buy her coffee, and she was cool with it, you know, so she left. But I still had this problem, right? I couldn't charge my laptop. I'm down to 5%, you know, that's the danger zone. That's when it starts, like, shutting off, you know. You try to, you try to print one more thing. So I try to do that. I go, I, I, I get really desperate. I go to Walmart. They don't sell it. I go to Target. They don't sell it. And I also go to Fry's Electronics. You guys heard of this before? Because I hadn't either because apparently it's a place. I went to Fry's Electronics and they did not sell it. It's this massive electronic super center. So I go back to Amazon, kind of tail between my legs. But I find a cheap knockoff China-made power cord. And I roll the dice, right? You know, I roll the dice on it. I do the two-day prime, and I get it, and it comes in. I mean, I look at the instructions. It's like one of those Chinglish things where it's like it's not even like complete sentences. And I'm like, oh, God, please, you know. Doesn't fit my MacBook. I'm like two weeks in. Now, you know, now it's been dead for a while. It doesn't fit my MacBook. And in the same way, as I was thinking about today's sermon, right, in the same way, I feel like worry has no place in the Christian life. In case you want resolution on that story, by the way, I ended up buying the $80 charger. What are you going to do? You know, I had, I had to do it, right? But, but worry is like the old cords to the MacBook. They don't fit the present life that God calls us to live Worry is an old model. It is an old way of living. It is an old paradigm. Just like the idea that the earth is flat or that the sun revolves around it, worry is an outdated notion. And in fact, the truth for your life today is that the kingdom of God replaces worry. The kingdom of God replaces worry in your life. And let me show you exactly what I mean by that. Look back to verse 24 uh, in our text. Look to see what Jesus says. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. So here, Jesus, in one of his most famous sermons that he ever preached, basically says that there are two approaches to life. And on the one hand, we'll call it the old model, the old approach to life, is the worry-filled approach to life. It's the approach to life that is consumed with the questions like what will we eat and what will we wear and how will I make budget and what if I lose my job and how will my kids turn out and will this situation work out for me? This is where most people live in this world. Most people still have this outdated notion because most people live in a world where there's not a good God. That's their world view. But the upgraded and the new approach to life is the kingdom approach that Jesus brings to us. The worry-free approach. The approach that Jesus wants us to have is one that recognizes that there is a good God who desires good for his people. 
And so where worry is sort of like the old paradigm, faith and trust is the new paradigm that Jesus is calling you into. Worry is the fear that you are going to lose control. But faith is the understanding that God is always in control. And so really, if we're going to pop the hood a little bit, worry is symptomatic. Worry is, is a symptom in your life of a deeper heart issue, of, a, of an area of your life that you're not giving back to God, that you're not surrendering to Him. Show me an area of your life that you are worried about, and I will show you a situation that you have not yet surrendered to God. Now let me go just a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. A a, a really good test of worry is not that you've gone to God and said, God, I just pray that you would just just be in the situation, Lord. I pray that you would solve it. I mean, that's good for us to go to God about these things. He wants us to do that. But for me, the true test of worry is whether you've surrendered the outcome to God. Right? Is that not like a, a bigger test of worry? It's one thing to pray to God and say, God, I pray that you would help me to do well in this presentation. I pray that, you, uh, that my kids would turn out okay, Lord. I pray all these things. And it's good to pray that. But if you're truly having faith and trusting in God, then you'll trust that the outcome of the situation that happens is for your good. There's an Old Testament rhythm where people would ask things for God. But then they would tack on the phrase, but may the Lord do what seems good to him. May the Lord do what seems good to him. So my hope for you today, as we sort of dive into this topic of worry and anxiety, which we all feel, is that you would begin to draw up the situations in your life this very day, the ones that are going to plague you as you leave here today, to be thinking about those things and to be surrendering the outcome of those things to God. And we're going to help you do that today. Because the truth is that Jesus does not want you to worry. Let that sink in a little bit. Jesus does not want you to worry. What does he say here in verse 25? He says, do not be anxious. Like if you're one of those people that underlines in your Bible or highlights on the Bible app, that's a really good phrase to underline. Here you have the Son of God himself telling us, do not be anxious. And so if we're going to, command, if we're going to follow the commands of God in other places, like love other people and all that kind of stuff, why would we not follow this command when he tells us to not be anxious? And check this out. This actually really sort of blows my mind a little bit, right? This is the Son of God, right? He doesn't just tell you not to worry. He argues you for it. Jesus is about to argue with us to not worry. In the next nine verses, Jesus uses 239 words to try to convince you that worry has no place in your life. I feel like that's really typical of us, right? It's not enough for God just to say something to us. We, got, you know, we, have, we always have in the back of our mind, yeah, God, I know you said this, but... And here Jesus knows that we're going to do that, and so he responds with arguments, with God's rock-solid logic. So very quickly, we're going to go through some of Jesus' arguments. And what I want you to do as we're going through these, it'll be very quick, but I want you to find what is the one that speaks most to you and apply that to your situation. 
Jesus knows we're different, so he comes at it from a lot of different angles. So let's start here in verse 25 with this first argument. He says, do not be anxious, yada, yada. And then he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So what Jesus is saying is under the old paradigm, people used, you know, used to worry about food and clothes and, and your house and all that kind of stuff. But he says, when you're brought into the kingdom of God, those things are no longer as important because now you have much more important things to think about. Things about the God of the universe and his plan for the world. Things like the gospel. Jesus says life is more than just physical things, that there is a spiritual component to life that is much more important and much more important for us to cultivate. Then he says here in verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So argument number two, Jesus is going to turn to nature. And he says, hey, look how God takes care of the animals, right? They're not as smart as you guys, and yet God takes care of them. Are you not, much, are you not of much more valuable than they are? So God says he, he loves you. He loves you enough to send a son to die for you. Will he not also take care of you in your physical needs? Very quickly, let's keep going. Argument number three that he throws at us, verse 27. And he says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So here Jesus gets super practical. He says, hey, worry does nothing. Right? Worry is useless. Why would you add that extra baggage on how hard life already is? He says, hey, why would you do that? You can't even increase the amount of your life. You can't make your hair turn white or black. He says, worry does nothing. Argument number four, verse 28. He says, consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even King Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So God said he clothes nature. He creates beautiful things in this world, things like the Grand Canyon, things like forest and flowers and trees. He's created this beautiful world and adorned it with beauty. How will he not also much more clothe us and take care of us? Argument number five, verse 31. He says, therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So Jesus is saying, if you worry, if we have worry in our hearts and anxiety, we're no different than people in the world who aren't living in the kingdom of God. Right? Worry is the old model. Worry is for people outside of the kingdom of God. They're the ones who worry about life. They're the ones who overwork themselves to sort of get by. But once you enter into the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying that you should check your worry at the door. Because there is a good king in this kingdom who is going to take care of us. So I don't know what worries you brought with you today. I bring a lot of worries. A lot of fear of the future. A lot of uncertainty. I'm just prone. I'm just wired to be more worried. And maybe you are as well. 
But if you're like me and you have worry in your life, just take a moment and reflect on the rock-solid logic of Jesus Christ. You cannot argue with him. Worry has no place in the kingdom life that God calls us to live. And yet we still have that that baggage sometimes, right? We still have worry in our life sometimes, right? And so Jesus is going to provide a little bit of a remedy for us. Look in verse 33. He says, But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So Jesus' practical remedy, so he started out first with the arguments, right? First he's trying to convince you that it has no place in your life. But now he's going to get really practical. And he says, uh, if you don't have worry in your life, the key to overcoming it is to seek the kingdom first and you will not have time to worry. Seek the kingdom first and you will not have time to worry. And so Jesus' remedy to worry is not to stockpile more and more money in our savings accounts. And Jesus' remedy to worry is not to work longer and longer hours and to get more jobs to make sure that we have enough. Jesus' remedy to worry is to seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Just a few practical things. First, it means that people in this life, they, 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 they worry about their possessions. They worry about what's in their savings account. They worry about their houses. They worry about getting bigger houses and increasing their bank accounts. And they worry about the clothes that they wear. But Jesus says, if you're going to live in the kingdom, you have to cultivate your heart more than your possessions. So we in the Christian life focus more on our character, focus more on drawing closer to God than we do all the sort of other things that people are busy doing. We focus on our heart attitude and we focus on as a follower of Jesus. Secondly, we recognize that if we lack something in this life, it's not because God is absent. It's probably because God is trying to tell us something, trying to guide us, trying to help us trust Him more. And so when we look at situations in our life and we have something that's sort of weighing over us, we we, we can ask the question, what is God trying to teach me in this moment? What is God trying to show me? How is he trying to increase my trust and faith in him? See, people outside the kingdom, they can't ask those questions. But we can because we know that God is here and that he's good. And then lastly, part of seeking the kingdom first means we develop rhythms in our life and we focus on rhythms that are going to help us know Jesus more. So like I said, how the rest of the people, they're out there, they're, they're, they're working a lot of jobs, they're trying to, to, to make it in this world. But we, on the other hand, are people who, who focus on Jesus, who are focusing on prayer, who are focusing on reading his word and spending time with God. This is what people in the kingdom do. And I promise you that the more central you make the kingdom of God and of Jesus in your life, the less worry you will experience. And the more you take your eyes off the kingdom of God in a particular moment or in a particular situation, the more you are going to be prone to worry. Now as we draw to a close, I'm going to hit you with a few things. And I'm going to be really honest here. I'm going to do this in love. 
But if you have worry in your life, as I often do, it's probably because you're not grasping the gospel fully. If you have worry in your life, it means that you are not grasping the gospel fully. Look at uh, Romans 8.32, and I think I'm going to put it up on the screen here. It says, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up, us, or gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? So did you catch the logic there? It says, If God did not spare his own son, but if God sent him into the world to live a life, a perfect life for us, to die on the cross for us, to go to the grave for us, and to rise from the dead for us, will he not also give us all things? Like that was the harder thing, right? What do you think it's harder for God to do? To send his perfect blameless son to die for our sins? Or to take care of our needs? God did the harder thing. Will he not also do the easier things? He knows what you need. Why do I encourage you? He knows what you need. So I can't promise you today that you are going to have every bill payment made. I can't promise you that you're never going to lose someone that you love. I can't even promise you that you're not going to suffer because the Bible says that those who enter the kingdom of God do it through many hardships. A worry-free life is not a life without trouble. It is simply a life of faith in a good God. And that's what I encourage and invite you into. Jesus was a pioneer of the new age. It's kind of this image I've been thinking of recently, that Jesus is the pioneer of the age to come. And worry and anxiety have no part in that age. Look at the last verse as we sort of talk about this last point. Verse 34. It says, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So I have no idea what's going to happen to you as you drive off from this building today. And I have no idea what's going to happen to you tonight. And I have no idea absolutely whatsoever what's going to happen to you tomorrow. But there is one thing that I will stake my life on. And that is that tomorrow, God will still be God. Tomorrow, the gospel will still be true. Tomorrow, Jesus will still be reigning. And whenever I'm going about my day and I have anxiety in my heart, I say a little prayer and I remember Hebrews 13, 20, or 13, 8 that says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Rest your hope in your heart on those types of verses. You will go through many trials, but God loves you and he promises to stay with you. So as we close, I want to share a verse, and then I want to share a quick story. And the verse comes from the prophet Hosea. He says, as surely as the sun rises, God will appear. As surely as the sun rises, God will appear. God's love for you and his love for me is more sure than the rising sun. That just as we know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow, and we know that's going to happen, 
we know that God loves us and he will take care of us. I'll close quickly with this a story, actually lyrics to a hymn that I heard my three-year-old niece singing the other day. And it was such a, we talk about childlike faith in God. And she was singing this song. And I kind of want to share it because uh, it really spoke to me. It's very simple. But imagine this coming from the lips of a three-year-old. The sun will rise. The sun will rise bringing life to the earth as it springs from the ground. The sun will rise. Won't you dry all your tears and lay your burden down? Won't you dry all your tears and lay your burden down? God loves you so much. He loves you too much for you to worry about anything in this life. So I'm going to pray over us right now that we would just receive this gospel truth that God loves us and that worry has no place in our lives. Dear Heavenly Father, you're so good. Father, we admit that often in this life we, we take our eyes off of you. And just like when Peter... Uh, crawled out of the boat and he was walking on the water toward Jesus in this miraculous story. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink and began to drown. And in the same way, when we take our eyes off you, Lord, I feel like we we begin to drown in this life. But we trust that in the same way that Jesus caught Peter, that you will catch us. So I pray for these people today, Lord. I pray for my family here at this church and for myself. That we would trust you. That we would have faith in you. That we would seek your kingdom first above all things. We thank you for Jesus and for sending him to die on the cross. We know that if you would do that for us, that you will take care of us in every other thing. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray as one people. Amen.